Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! You want a podcast? Great. So you have some audio on your website that nobody goes to. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Well, if you're audio only today, you are missing the sunshine hitting the left side of Ken Flo's face. First outdoor edition for Ken Flo, the Anakin <laughs> Florian podcast. It's Monday, December 16, 2019. I am hurting for certain. I ain't going to lie to you. Red Eye through Phoenix last night. Slept till about 20 minutes before we went on the air today. So you're going to have to deal with me today. Um, no Gi World Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Championships. Before we get into UFC 245, Kemflo was hoping to compete. Uh, the back intervened again, my man. I was sorry yeah. to see that Instagram post over the weekend. Yeah, it was unfortunate, man. First of all, you look fantastic. The fact you you, you came off a red eye, dude. You I'm wearing makeup. Like- you look I'm like 10 years makeup. younger. It's no, I'm not wearing makeup. I got a special cream uh, <laughs> our buddy Jimmy Stewart gave me, that is. Wow. So I'm faking it today. It's like a fake tan, you know? <laughs> my, is my masculinity just spilling out right now? It's working, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, man, I hurt my freaking back. I, it's been one thing after another, dude. It, it was first I hurt my knee. That was bad. I could deal with the knee. Then I got a staph infection in my other knee. Then I got a nasty cold uh, from my wife and, and, and my baby, and we were all sick. And I was like, you know what? I, I can deal with all these things. Uh, then the back goes later on in the week, and you know, I just felt like the universe was conspiring against me. I'm still having trouble uh, you know, sitting down and stuff, but it sucks. What are you going to do? Um, at least I got a couple tournaments in, and uh, right. I'll, I'll, I'll be back. You know, this happens from time to time with the back. And so those tournaments, those were back-to-back weekends, if I'm not mistaken, and you were at the they top were. of the podium, obviously, and the back was able to get through those largely without issue, huh? Yes, it, it, it was feeling good, and, um, you know, I think just because my knees were bothering me, I wasn't doing my stretches. I'm an old guy, dude. I need yeah, to take care. It's so much more important for me to take care of my body and stretch and do all the things, and I was doing yeah. everything except the stretching, and my body paid for it, so... My fault. My yeah. fault. Well, we look forward to uh, yeah. hopefully the Nogi Worlds next year. But you're right. Yeah, recovery and stretching and all that stuff. Uh, when you're a man and you're 40, uh, it, is, <laughs> it is an inconvenient truth. So, uh, yes. so I went down to the ballroom at Red Rock on Thursday so I could shake the hand of one TJ DeSantis on the call for Quintet Ultra. It was nice to see my guy TJ. I sat in my hotel room. Uh, what was it, Thursday night? And I watched Quintet Ultra on UFC Fight Pass start to finish on my cellular telephone. If you would have told me 10 years ago that I would be in Las Vegas, right? And 
I would have not gone to a sports book at all, right? The whole time I was there, I didn't play a single slot machine, no blackjack, uh, no marijuana dispensaries or any of that. <laughs> and I sat in my room and I watched an entire grappling competition. Kenful, you'd be happy to know I was totally fucking enthralled the whole time. I love it. Uh, it had nothing to do with TJ DeSantis, of course. But, well, that's uh, a big part of it, TJ. Great. Yeah, but, no, of know, course we're was, supporting uh, TJ. Dude, I saw, I saw a couple of the matches. Um, I wasn't able to see this whole thing, but it was exciting. There were some great matches, some nice submissions. Um, it was horrible to see Cub Swanson get injured. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he, he was not aware of what to do when, when his leg was entangled there by Jake Shields um, and kind of paid for it. That was unfortunate. It almost kind of did it to himself in a way, but yeah. uh, so that was hard to see. But, you know, I, I thought they did a great job of making it exciting, uh, making people care. Um, I, I like the team competition. I, I think it's a cool thing that other organizations should, should try to uh, work towards. And um, a fun event, man, no doubt. Good job, TJ. We yeah, did it. Yeah. No, yeah. That, that was awesome. Uh, there's something very, very sweet and special and nostalgic about uh, a team UFC walking out to the mat with Face the Pain blaring in the background or, uh, yes. you know, the the Pride team in Sakuraba with the bump, 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 bump. I loved it. It was it was the yeah. coolest thing ever. Yeah. Well, shout out to James Krause for a submission of King Mo Lawal, even though King Mo disputes the tap. Shout out to my man, the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley. That kid can grapple and my... My final shout-out should have been my lead shout-out. Fat Gilbert Melendez, okay? Chubby Gil, just a fucking baller. Just a total gangster, right? Unlike the one host of this podcast, as we said last <laughs> week. Right, just out there scrapping, you know? It's not like he's in great cardiovascular condition for this yeah. thing or whatever. But just just so tough, right? You know, uh, you know, like Kelvin Gaslam is the fighter I always think of who, no training camp. He'll still go out and kick your ass, even as an elite middleweight. You know, and I just, I don't know, I was happy to just watch Gil compete, a good friend of mine, analyst in that setting. So, all right, enough Definitely. about that, right? I mean, our listeners are probably like, are these guys really going to do nine minutes on <laughs> Ken Flo's back and Quintet Ultra when UFC yeah. 245 gave us one of the all-timers in terms of the title fight? Kamaru Usman by TKO over Colby Covington in the main event. I don't have enough good things to say about both of these gentlemen in terms of their performances and their toughness and they're willing to engage. I am surprised there wasn't a takedown attempt on either side. I do agree with Chael Sonnen that I kind of felt a little shortchanged that we didn't see any wrestling at all, I guess, just because it is mixed martial arts, and I kind of wanted to see uh, how they would feel against one another. But congrats to Kamaru, truly the best welterweight in the world, and uh, Colby certainly game as hell in defeat. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of get why um, they didn't go for any wrestling. I don't think these guys wanted to spend a whole lot of energy trying to take the other guy down uh, and get countered and be put in a, in a really bad position. So, um, you know, I, I think both these guys were confident in their striking and in their approaches. Both had very different approaches. Of course, it was the Camaro uh, style of boxing that really was getting it done early in the first round and then ultimately got it done in the fifth um, I thought uh, the combinations of Colby Covington was the difference in the second and fourth round. Uh, I had it even going into the fifth. Yeah. Um, it was a very exciting fight. It was very intriguing. Um, I think just every time Camaro uh, threw one of those significant strikes, I guess you could say, it was doing more damage to Colby right. uh, more than Colby. You know, Colby had to land three, four shots to really have an impact on Camaro. And with Camaro, all it took was really one shot. Uh, to hurt Colby or back him up. Both these guys were game as hell. Um, we didn't see Camaro, 
get get really uh, thrown off by the pressure yeah. or by the no. strikes or uh, by the condition. Both these guys came in tremendous shape. Uh, Camaro stayed very composed throughout this fight, and it was an absolute classic because of it. Kamaro really talked a lot about his mental toughness, both in his post-fight interview with Joe Rogan and on set with me and Rashad after the fact. And it is a huge cornerstone to what he is able to do. And, you know, and I sort of in watching Embedded, when you see him say, you know, about his mother, right? Like she knows what her son's capable of. And it's like, oh, my God, I get chills with that line. When it, like, like he is a real problem. And George St. Pierre, your former teammate and friend, has the record for welterweight wins, the winning streak, excuse me, 12, right? This dude's starting his UFC career 11 and 0. There's only a handful of guys who have been able to accomplish that. And uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see if Leon Edwards is able to, to be the guy or Jorge Masvidal, whomever it is. Uh, it's going to take a huge effort and, and certainly a peak performance to, to dethrone Kamaru Usman. On the Colby Covington side, there were several times in this fight where I thought he cracked Kamaru perfectly and Usman I, I I don't know man that just a hell of a chin he just never really seemed uh, I think respected the power but right. no matter how hard or cleanly Colby landed uh, Kamaru just was not going to be denied you know uh, Colby you know uh, doesn't have that uh, let's say fuck you power uh, right. you know if we wanted to be crude he doesn't right. have that kind of a power at, at welterweight but he is pretty sharp when he lets his hands fly and he, and he gets those combinations going. I think the problem for Colby, which was adding up for him, was after he'd throw a combination, he'd kind of watch his work a little bit. Not to say it, it was out of laziness or anything, but I think maybe based on his training, he wouldn't cut an angle or step off uh, on an angle because every time he'd land a combination, Kamara would always land one back that would kind right. of make right. it even and kind of rock him a little bit. Kamara was landing a lot of shots to the body, which I think was having its effect on Colby as well, especially those front kicks to the body. I thought that was a brilliant strategy on Kamara's, yep. Kamara's part. Um, both these guys really had some amazing moments, and the fact that for me, as I was watching it, the fact that it was tied up heading in that fifth round yeah, I agree. Uh, was just amazing. And Colby was winning the first part of that fifth round. I thought he was doing a great job, but then Camaro's heavy blows just started to add up. And, of course, we knew, um, or at least Colby thought his jaw was broken. I'm sure that was probably right. accurate. Um, and you could see those shots to the jaw just started to add up. And eventually, Kamaro finished exactly when he needed to. Uh, just an amazing performance from Kamaro Usman, who really proved a lot in my eyes of how mentally tough he is, how physically conditioned this guy is, and yeah. how maybe this guy might be holding on to the belt for a very long time. Safe to say that he has not been given his due credit for his striking ability. I mean, do you feel like, like we underrated his, his overall striking acumen? Uh, I think so. You know, I, I still think that he has some work to do. There's no doubt about it. He's still primarily a wrestler. But, yeah, I, I think uh, his striking was definitely underestimated a little bit. Also, the intelligence of how to pace himself in a fight uh, and, and when to throw shots I, I thought was um, very impressive on yeah. Kamaru's part. He was so fresh after 20 minutes, right? Dancing, going back yeah. to his stool in the fifth round. Just an incredible effort on both sides. And uh, I'd love to see, <clears throat> excuse me, Colby Covington fight Tyron Woodley at this point in time. I, I think that fight has a lot of legs. I think Dana yeah. White intimated as much. For Kamar Usman, I don't know. Maybe uh, I'm just sort of 
dealing with the red eye, but I see two options, unless I'm forgetting someone. I see Leon Edwards, who obviously lost to Kamar Usman back in the day, but who I think has reeled off eight consecutive wins and, uh, for my money, just is richly deserving of a title shot. And, of course, Jorge Gamebred Masvidal, who I think is going to be the more popular pick, and maybe rightfully so, uh, a guy whose resume I think, even if Kamaru didn't agree with me on the post-show, stacks up favorably with Leon Edwards as well. Any idea who you would like to see or who you think we will see against uh, the Nigerian Nightmare in title defense number two? Well, certainly, I think the biggest fight you could put together at this point would be a Jorge Masvidal uh, and Kamara Usman fight. I I would love to see Tyron Woodley get a second shot, a second crack at that. Um, I I think that mentally, Tyron Woodley is going to have to do some work as far as, you know, putting that fight behind him, really training hard for this one. I'm not sure if he had the best training camp or respected Kamaru Usman as much as he should have. Um, But either way, man, uh, I got to say, as much as I love Tyron and all those guys, I I think they're tremendous fighters. I think stylistically, they're all very difficult matchups. Um, I I like Kamaru Usman in a lot of those fights. I think he's going to be a handful for anybody. Um, and again, I could see that guy holding onto the belt for a very long time, dude. Just the way he puts it all together and his mental toughness, he's something else. Uh, outstanding man, outstanding father, fighter. Uh, it's just great to see. It's great to see a guy like that reap the benefits of all the hard work. And, 100%. you know, you start to defend this belt a couple times. You start to really financially change your life. So uh, congrats to... One good egg, Kamara Usman. Speaking of good eggs, Alexander Volkanovsky is the new undisputed UFC featherweight champion. And, uh, you know, I'm calling these fights, so I'm not talking a lot in a predictive tone. But I really thought Volko was going to get this done, despite the fact mm. that our guy Ian Parker's maxing out on Max Holloway. Uh, it's a bet on, ki- on city kickboxing, but it's really a bet on Alexander Volkanovsky, who had never been beaten as a featherweight. One pro loss as a welterweight. Uh, the guy just gets it. He has every skill in the book. And... 48-47 times two. There was also a 50-45 to 45 from the dissenting judge. I do think Max Holloway came on late in this fight, as he did against Dustin Poirier. Uh, but I, I'm not sure I have a problem with Volko winning all five rounds, Kenny. I certainly had him up 3-0. I thought he is absolutely the rightful winner of this fight. And uh, I don't know. Some skepticism from you. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, it was tough. I thought the late, later rounds, uh, I thought Max did a little bit more. I, I, I did kind of have a problem with the 50-45, but either way, I, I thought the difference here was the approach and the intelligence of Alexander Volkanovsky. I, I thought that he did enough um, to win rounds. I thought it was uh, a guy who just did his homework a little bit better than Max Holloway. And if you thought that, you know, Volkanovsky was just this kind of caveman who was going to come forward and put the pressure on him and not stop and just be in his face the whole time and try to outgrind Max Holloway, I thought that would play right into the hands of Max Holloway, uh, a guy who is going to be as tough as anybody in that division, a guy who's going to be able to land harder shots because of that. And Volkanovsky kind of was able to defuse that by getting in and getting out, utilizing those leg kicks from the outside, which has always kind of been a vulnerability of Max. Holloway, uh, except Volkanovski wasn't there for Max Holloway to return shots and land meaningful blows in combination. So for me, I thought that was a really smart approach for Volkanovski. Um, and I think that's probably what Colby Covington could have done better against Kamara Usman as far as landing his shots and getting the hell out of there, stepping off, getting an angle. Volkanovski did his homework. Holloway did really did not as much. Um, 
this was a tough one, man. It was a very close fight. Each round was close. So I, yeah, I don't right. want to make it like I Volkanovski dominated, uh, uh, you know. But uh, he did a great job of winning rounds and being the smarter fighter out there. I certainly don't have a problem with 3-2 Volkanovski, but <laughs> certainly on the body of those 25 minutes, I felt like he was the clear winner. Luke Thomas had a great breakdown on his social media talking about city kickboxing and, and how, in his mind, they're really starting to distance themselves in terms of their approach to striking. I mean, Eugene Behrman is a genius. I, I truly believe that with what he's been able to do with these athletes. Even look what he's been able to do with Kai Kata France, who ran into a a beast in Brandon Moreno who just looked like a monster, right? But this team has done some seriously special things. And in Luke's breakdown, Kenny, talks a lot about feints being at the core of what they do and so many different subtle things you can do with feints, leg feints and arm feints and shoulder feints and all these different things. Uh, you got anything for me on, on Volkanovski and Adesanya and their ability to, to use feints as a huge core to what they're trying to do? Uh, Faints is nothing new, obviously, but it's something that is extremely effective um, as far as keeping your opponent guessing and giving yourself the angles and opportunities to strike and not get hit as much. And a lot of guys just kind of come into the pocket. There's the range. Let me throw a combination. How about fooling the guy a little bit? How about getting the guy to blink, getting the guy to step when he doesn't need to? Keeping them guessing repeatedly. Um you know, disguises the nature of your attack and disguises the nature of your counterattack. So I, I think it's very important. I think these are fundamentals that you don't see a lot of in striking at a high level in mixed martial arts. You'd like to see more of it. Um, and of course, it's this gym in New Zealand that's doing things a little bit differently. Everyone in, in, in the UFC, everyone in mixed martial arts, in my opinion, is trying to look like the same mixed martial arts guy. Yeah. So, of course, it's going to be someone who's going to be doing it a little bit differently, who's coming with a little bit different of approach. And, you know, feints, again, this is nothing new. This is nothing different. But why not bring something new to the table that people aren't used to? This is what's going to set yourself apart and going to make you difficult to prepare for. And I, I agree. I think these guys in New Zealand um, are something special. Uh, Israel Adesanya leading that pack. And now Alexander Alexander Volkanovsky, uh, proving that he truly is uh, elite now as a world champ. So they have something they do at City Kickboxing or maybe Freestyle Fighting Gym. And congrats to Joe Lopez, by the way. Day one coach of Alexander Volkanovsky gets his first UFC champion here. But they have something they do called Fight Gone Bad, right? Putting themselves in bad situations. I'm sure most of the fighters do it. But Volkanovsky says he's far more nervous for training than a fight. Far more nervous. You know, yeah. Bisping told us a story where he's right before he's about to walk out. You know, he's talking to Bisping about something totally unrelated to fighting right before he's about to walk out to fight Max. Ice water in his fucking veins. Yeah. And this is huge for Australia and New Zealand. There is no possible way to overstate this. You know, if Alexander Volkanovsky was an American fighter, uh, he wouldn't be getting the type of reception that he's going to get when he goes back to Australia. I mean, this is the first Australian-born UFC champion. Robert Whitaker, of course, broke through for that nation, but he was born in New Zealand. This is a huge, huge deal, and you talk about changing your life forever. Volko absolutely did that Saturday night. Absolutely, and to give them even more credit, you know— you hear it all the time. You know, if you want to be a successful fighter, you got to come to the United States and train with all the great coaches and fighters that are over here. You don't need to. As long as you can get good training, good mentoring, and you have a great gym of guys who are going to push you and you're always looking for ways to improve, you yeah. can do that anywhere in the world. And, and yep. again, 
a huge credit goes to those guys over in New Zealand and Australia that are now really picking up their game. They've been producing a lot of excellent uh, world-class jiu-jitsu practitioners and now uh, you know a lot of amazing mixed martial arts fighters as well. So uh, amazing job to those guys. All right, that is not all the love we will have for Volko on this fine program today. But uh, Ray Longo, of course, is a night owl. That means he stayed awake for UFC 245. Let us get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. So, Ray, when people think of my right-hand man in mixed martial arts, they think of Kenny Florian, right? When people think of your right-hand man in mixed martial arts, they think of, of Matt Sarah. okay? I spent yesterday with him. He is out of his fucking skull, bro. What is in the, the water is- at Sarah Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? That dude is nuts. No, the guy is balls to the wall just out of his oh. fucking mind. I couldn't. I, I, listen, you got no oh. argument for me. I talk, I talk to him every day. Yeah, and I say that with all the love in the world. Of course, I'm glad to. I'm glad that you got to see it up close and personal. I just hope he was himself because he's fucking crazy. No, he is, and and it's all love for Matt Sarah, of course. But uh, you know, I don't want to tease too much about this roundtable we did. It's a it's a year end show, I believe, that will be on UFC Fight Pass, but. I wasn't in a traditional hosting role, you know, kind of just loose and whatever else. But at one point, I did ask Matt about Zhang Wei Li and her. Uh, I don't even think I. Could <laughs> I asked him about Zhang Wei Li and and her title fight against Jessica Andrade, and of course, it's like the one championship fight that you know he didn't see. And man, did he light me up for uh, for teeing him up on Zhang Wei Li. I said, "Hey, you you host the UFC's podcast. You would think they would they would make you watch their championship <laughs> fights. I don't know." I could see where that was going. I just make him pronounce the name would have would have been funny enough. Could he even do that? <laughs> oh well, that's a, a huge part of the show was him butchering Sahudos. He's calling him Shahudo <laughs> with an S H or something. Yeah. So, so I'd say he got he definitely got crazier as as he got older. He wasn't. Yeah. Uh, he, he was. <coughs> He wasn't Careful just out now. of his mind when he was younger, but yeah. the last couple of years, it's been a steady downfall for the guy. I, I think my <laughs> wife would say that that's the same for me, getting crazier and steady <laughs> yeah. downfall. So uh, so talk to me, UFC 245, Kamar Usman and Colby Covington. Not the fight of the year for me, of course, because we had that Gastelum Adesanya war back in April, but uh, one of the best fights of 2019, and both guys really brought it. What would you think of the main event? No, great fight. Uh, you know, definitely a great, evenly matched. Uh, two wrestlers that, uh, you know, were, were throwing. They weren't that bad. You know, it wasn't like, uh, you know, it wasn't like Askren and, and Damian Moy. These guys, you know, they had technique. Uh, they didn't use their wrestling. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, Pat so I not, was never a big Kobe fan, but you got to give it up to him. I mean, fought, fought through with a fractured jaw. And wasn't even about to uh, to back down, and he got hit a bunch of times afterwards. So, uh, I mean, the guy proved who he was, and uh, you know that's enough for me. He's, you know, as long as you can back up your talk, I think it's it's fine. And and he certainly did that. And hats off to Usman, great fight again, and, and competitive. You know what I mean? Which is, which really yeah. made it with great. It was back and forth, and it was close. Uh, Ray, Ray, do you see? Uh anyone beating Kamaru Usman at this point because, you know, that was the other very good wrestler in that division um, who's been 
you know, having a similar style uh, to Camaro. Do, do you think? Do you see anybody beating him at this point? Uh, I mean, look, I, I think Masvidal is a threat, a threat to anybody. It depends on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, how good his takedown defense is. But you know, the, for five rounds, the longer that fight stays up on its feet, the the, the better chance. Jorge has with that, you know what I mean? So <laughs> Maya couldn't submit him. I don't think he's going anywhere down there. So he gets a couple of stand-ups. You know, it would probably be similar to the nunez Gerandomy fight. Uh, but, you know, I think he's got a, a shot because, again, for five rounds, the longer that stays up on its feet, I think that would obviously favor Masvidal. And he's on a roll now, so who knows? You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know, but he, he seems like he's... Uh, there's a couple of guys, I think. It, it, it really, look, it all depends on on who's got the better takedown defense. Like, if if, Jer- if Geranda May had better takedown defense, I mean, she's winning that fight. You know what I mean? But she couldn't keep yeah. the fight off the floor. So, you know, it's the same old thing. You know I mean? You have to have everything, and you got to put the fight where you want it. But um, I think there's a couple of guys that could challenge him. It doesn't look like... Uh, you know, I mean, I think there's a couple of, you know, great fights out there for him, so it should be interesting. But that that fight was great. The, the, the fact that they both didn't go to their wrestling was, uh, you know, was, was pretty cool. Um, we got a new champ on, on Saturday night, Volkanovski, um, you know, getting it done against Max Holloway. How surprised were you? Uh, I mean, I had Holloway. I, I picked Holloway to win. I thought, you know, he'd out-volume him, but... Uh, Again, I agree with you, man. You got me pumped up listening to the guys, uh, you know, from Australia. They are doing a great job. And, you know, it's almost like, it's like, you know, when you invent uh, a good alarm, there's already guys figuring out how to break that alarm, you know. So there's guys that have been on top, and they they might get complacent, and these guys are hungry, and they're training the right way, and they're coming forward, and it shows, man. They got a, a lot of good guys. And uh, they're 100% coming to fight, you know what I mean? So I think, you know, we don't know. I, I think the calf kicks did take Max out of it. Obviously, he had to go southpaw a bunch of times. And I think even um, who's the kid that uh, Iaquinta fought that kind of did the same thing. The calf kicks are, are, are a big deal. Okay. I mean, they, are, yeah. they will change the landscape of a fight at this point, you know. Uh, it doesn't make for the most exciting fight, but tactically and technically it's... it's uh, it's a smart move. I mean, I you know I, I wouldn't want to foresee something like this, Kenny. Two guys going out like you kick me in the calf, I kick you in the calf, you kick me in the calf, I kick, and whoever could with you know whoever's going to withstand that pain is going to win the fight because I think that's what we're coming down to, you know. It's, right. And I, I don't know if I want to see that because I don't know if it'll be you know exciting because people don't relate to the uh, leg kicks as much, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are really playing a big part of the, of the uh, landscape of some of these guys winning. Definitely. It really is interesting. You know? There's so much depth yeah, and I mean, nuance. That, that's the thing, though. I, I wouldn't want to say, like, if, if that just became a calf kick fight, somebody's going down. You can't take many of those. Right, right. Well, and I think there are guys genetically like Paul Felder, right, who is fighting Dan Hooker, who are better equipped to take them than maybe some other guys. But uh, I'll well, leave it man, at that. I, I, man, how he, how he, yeah, he really, he took him against a vicious leg kick. I mean, that guy, that guy, Felder is tough, man. He's just one of those, you know, almost, uh, you know, you could see he's, I, I really don't know him that well, I and mean, he's always nice when I see him, but you could see he's a yeah. headstrong guy. 
you know, maybe even narcissistic right. to a point, but it's helping them. Which I just, yeah. How yeah. I even said that to him. I saw him in Jersey. Go, how the fuck did you deal with those? I mean, he walked through at least <laughs> ten of those from Barboza. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and he'll have to walk through some in all likelihood against Dan Hooker. So what did you, you think about Marlon Marais and, uh, and Jose Aldo? Split decision win for Magic Marlon Marais. I think most people, and I don't know if that's a 70% majority or a 60% majority or whatever it is, but I think most people feel like Jose Aldo won that fight. I think our broadcast and our call certainly reflected that sentiment. Ray, did you uh, have any strong feeling as to who won that fight, and what did you think of it? Yeah, no, look, you got to give it up to... Uh to uh, Jose Aldo, I, I had him winning that fight. I thought the other guy was backpedaling, you know, second and third round. Uh, first round, he, he was a wor- he's a world beater in that first round, man. Is he dangerous? But man. Jose Aldo was able to to walk through that shit and and really finish strong. I mean, you could, I, I think, and I, I'm, I'm going out on a limb. You could make a case for he finished so strong that he won the first round, even after taking some of the hard blows he took at the beginning, but. You know, maybe the uh, takedown saved Marais, but you could see he just laid on him. He didn't even attempt to do anything. He was looking for a break. He got a break, and uh, second round definitely Aldo. Third round was a little close, but I man, but really happy for Aldo to make that weight cut and to fight one of the top guys in the world. I think is phenomenal. I, so I had him winning the fight. I, I think, uh, like you say, most people did, and I think it exposes. Uh, you know, Marlon again is you know kind of petering out after the uh, after the um, you know first round. I mean, again, I think because he's so huge, Marlon is a big dude, man. I mean, a five round fight. I mean, uh, he's going to have to make some adjustments because if they get it into deep waters, I think it's going to be a problem for him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of encouraging signs, certainly for Jose Aldo. Marlon came on Ken Flo, I thought, in that third round. And uh, again, I don't have a major, major issue with this, uh, despite the fact that I certainly felt 15-minute body of work that Jose won the fight. Any thoughts, Ken Flo, on, uh, on your former opponent, Jose Aldo, there? Yeah, listen, I, I was encouraged to see that Jose Aldo um, was not out of that fight at all. I thought Jose Aldo definitely had an argument that he won the fight. Uh, I was not surprised by Moraes winning that fight. I'd have to go back and watch yeah. it with a, a kind of a scoring eye. Uh, but yeah. uh, I thought I thought Moraes w- was going to win that fight. Um, I, I thought that... Um, Aldo definitely had his moments. He came out strong. It didn't seem like, you know, he was on wobbly legs at any point really during that fight. Right. Um, I think th- the speed was a factor for him a little bit. But once he adjusted, I thought Aldo did a great job of pressuring at the right times, uh, pivoting at the right times, um, showing some excellent defense and countering ability. Um, it was a close fight that either guy uh, could have won for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. But I think that's fair. You know, I think that's a fair assessment. I'll tell you one takeaway of the night. After the whole fight was over, Kenny, I'm, I go to watch the uh, post-fight show. I see poor John Anik after a oh, long day God. sitting by himself. Uh. Sitting by himself. John, my heart went out to you. You were look yeah. like you were, you were on what your 25th hour. It's, it I mean, was a cra- long where was one, everybody, man. Where was everybody else when you were doing that? Where were the other so guys? So it's, it's not my call, you know, uh, candidly i'll tell you i have suggested you know i want all in i want all hands on deck you know i mean yeah i'll go take five minutes and chael could certainly handle the interview no rashad evans was there for the kamaru usman interview but for whatever reason uh they wanted me to take nunez and volkanovsky on my own so uh hey i'm just a soldier man i do i do what they i gotta they tell, tell me man, i gotta tell I, you though I, I, every I, time it was like two o- 
2 o'clock in the morning. My heart went out there. I was like, wow, <laughs> well, they're really they're dragging this poor guy through the mud. I could see Chael and uh, Rashawn. They're over there. They're having drinks. They're eating. You're over there oh, killing no. yourself. Every time I'm, I'm walking up to do the post-show after these pay-per-views, and sometimes I, I've done the post-fight interviews in the Octagon, too, so I'm really spent. But every time I'm walking up, I'm like, what am I doing? You know, but the adrenaline <laughs> kicks in and candidly, I'd be going to a bar to talk about fighting anyway. All right. Before we let you go, I yeah. know Aljamain Sterling was probably most impressed with Pyotr Jan. Yeah. And we are wow. all just blown away by this Russian boxer. Right. I mean, I do believe yeah. sitting here right now on December 16th, 2019, whether it's Henry Cejudo, Aljamain Sterling, Pyotr Jan, and maybe someone I'm forgetting, Dominic Cruz, would kill me for not including him, given how hard he's yeah. training. But I think there are four or five guys who, on any given Saturday night right now, could be the best bantamweight in the world. When I watch Piotr Jan fight, I think he's as good as any 135er right now. Oh, but without a doubt. I agree exactly what you said. I think any one of those guys, and again, this is this goes for everybody. Though, on every, when the, when the, the talent is kind of equal, on any given night, anybody could, could win. I agree with that. But Piotr Jan... Uh, really looks like he's got the right attitude, and he's he. That was a great performance, and yeah, he's a he's a force to be reckoned with. You know, um, what I like with Aljo is he does bring something different to the table. He could use his legs like people use their hands, so that's a that's a yep. hard adjustment yep. to make too. So I think, you know, he's not one dimensional, and if you make a mistake on the floor with him, he will he will capitalize on it. I I do believe he's that good especially at 35. Uh, but, yeah, they're all great fights, man. It's a, that's an exciting division right now. Cejudo seems to be big name chasing. I really do think there are legs for, for a main event between Aljo and Piotr Jan to determine the true number one contender. I mean, it's hard because I think Aljo, in a lot of respects, has done enough to get a title shot. But clearly Cejudo is big name chasing, and the champions call a lot of the shots, Ray. So uh, I don't know. Yeah. I think you might be doing some Piotr Jan prep in the not-too-distant future. <laughs> I think that would be pretty... Uh that's a pretty intelligent observation. But, uh, right, yeah, buddy, we'll see well, how it uh, plays out. We'll see where everybody's injuries are when they're back to uh, training and what everybody's doing. Because there's a little chaos with that in that division right now. Is Cejudo, is there any timeline for him? I think you're probably looking at May. He intimated that he'd like wow. to go to Rio de Janeiro and fight Jose Aldo. But, right, you have Aljo and Cejudo who both have, have undergone fairly invasive surgeries recently. But, yeah, I think May is a pretty pretty realistic timeline for henry yeah oh wow that's see that that's a long ways uh, we'll see how it plays out well uh, I, I would have told you pin. march i would have told you right he just got well, the pins i would have told you probably march for henry but then you see him with the brazilian flag and you know we usually go there in may i don't know all right we got to let you go my man have a uh have a great week thanks for your time and uh we'll talk to you next monday all right man take it easy guys See you, Ray. There it is. The legend, Raymond Peter Longo. So, Jose Aldo, I mean, Dana White thought he won the fight, and Henry wants a big fight. You know, that's why he called out Dominic Cruz, who is largely credited with building this Bantamweight division. But he wants Jose Aldo now, and uh, I don't know. It's it's a little bit weird, right, that Marlon Badice came in with the number one next to his name and, and beat Jose Aldo on two of the three scorecards that matter. Uh, but I'll, I'll quote Dana. You know, I don't hate a, a Cejudo-Aldo title fight in Rio de Janeiro. What do you got for me, Flo, on that? 
Uh, again, this is a business as well, right? So um, in the UFC's mind, I think that's a fight that makes a lot of sense. Um, hard hard to say that, uh, you know, if, if um, you got Marlon Marais behind you going, wait, what? I won the fight. I won the fight. <laughs> right. What are you doing? I won the Just fight. Just like that, yeah. Right, and the thing is that, you know, Jose Aldo, yes, he's a, he's a bigger star in Brazil than a Marlon Moraes, and uh, he had just gone down 135 pounds, but I don't know how how, how you can justify that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if we've seen that in the past, uh, you know, unless we saw someone like a Marlon Moraes injured or something like that. But that's a that's a hard one to justify. And and yes, you can make an argument that Jose Aldo won the fight. But when have we seen the UFC actually make that decision of going, yeah, he he you know he lost the decision, but we're going to give it to him anyway. It, it's it's not something that I'm sure as a business you want to do too often. Uh, the, the fans good may revolt, but I don't know. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And again, there are circumstances medically that, that affect things, as yes. Ray sort of alluded to there. So we'll see what happens. But uh, Piotr Jan is a real problem. Ian Parker is a real problem, Dude. despite the fact that he had a max bet on Max Holloway. I guess he had a pretty good weekend somehow, some way. Hey, Ian, good to have you with us, man. We were singing the praises of one Piotr Jan, and I was just saying I don't think you were on hold at the time. On any given Saturday night when I watch Piotr Jan, I feel like I'm watching a guy who who might just be the best bantamweight in the world right now here as we close out 2019. Oh, man, he's something special. He's just such a complete fighter. I really didn't see any holes in the game. You know, in a situation against Faber where he could have gotten cocky, he really was having his way. He just stayed humble, focused, and still went for the finish. Guy's an absolute savage. Um, man, I'd love to see him fight Aljamain Sterling and have those oh, two fight yes. for an interim belt or whatever it is. I just think that that's the fight to make. You know, in that division... Um, but Jan's a problem for anyone, you know, based on what we're seeing. So it's, uh, man, that was a devastating knockout in general. Even I thought he was going to finish him the round before, but he just he just got so many tools. He's good everywhere. Scary. John, so, in Boston, we call him a nasty prick. That's right. Yeah, that's right. I love when he Ken really, Flo drops he really that nasty is. prick. Ken Flo should have <laughs> trademarked nasty prick a long time ago. <laughs> hey, so we were also talking, Ian, about the Bantamweight division. I agree with you. I think a main event between Yad and Aljo, whether there's an interim belt or not, has a lot of legs. Um, Marlon Marais and Jose Aldo. Marlon Marais left New Jersey, went to Florida, realigned with his original striking coach, Anderson Franca and Edson Barboza. He's at American Top Team and... Uh, you know, I thought it was a pretty good performance for Marlon. I did think Jose Aldo won the fight. Uh, did you have a strong inkling after those 15 minutes that, that one guy had had won that fight? Oh, to be honest with you, I thought Marlon decisively had round one, and I did think that he had the more impact at round three. I thought he landed the harder punches, the more damaging ones. The issue that I had with Marlon was that I thought he was allowing Aldo to stay in the fight and potentially steal one from him. Uh, it could have went either way, based on how you saw the fight. You know, Aldo's pressure and he kept moving forward was great but you know he didn't throw any leg kicks like literally at all which is something aldo used to be really known for i'm sure kenny probably wants to get rid of that memory but you know it's he didn't get crushed by those like some other people though (laughs) Ian. i mean come on it could have been worse but yeah kenny was getting like like, that was aldo's big thing when he was so dominant was his leg kicks just devastating you know they're gone they're largely uriah faber if that makes you feel better 100 no no 100 percent they're largely gone now, Ian, and I think that's why we've seen uh, Jose Aldo get hit a lot more. He doesn't; he's not respected for those leg kicks anymore, or, or for those kicks really in general. He throws them very rarely, and again, 
I don't know if it was the the scooter accident that he had in Brazil. I, you know, the, the accumulation of injuries and maybe from his leg kicks in the past that they've taken damage to his legs. Now, whatever it is, I think it has it has made him a less dangerous fighter. He's had to rely more on his boxing, um, and his boxing sharp as hell. But he does get hit a lot more uh, because of it, man. And uh, just to go back to how you saw the Moraes and Aldo fight, Ian, I saw it the exact same way, dude. The exact same way. Yeah. So, no, and you know what? The thing, too, with this type of fight, the one thing that I noticed more than anything is Marais was moving laterally a lot more and a lot faster than usual. I know that's kind of his style, but can you imagine if Aldo was landing even some early calf kicks? If he slows Marais down and forces him to just box, I think Aldo then would have decisively won that fight. And, John, I don't mean to go off topic, but I really think that it would be very, very bad in the UFC if they give Aldo a fight after a loss. Whether people think he won or not, I just think there's too many guys in front of him, like an Aljo, a Jan, or even Joey B, that deserve a title shot. I don't know what Henry's doing. You know, that promo video he cut, um, I was really disappointed with his pool for someone who's triple safe. <laughs> I think he needs to work on that. That was very disappointing to see. And it's just, you know, Aldo still has it, and I was very happy with his performance at 35. It's just, um, I, I did think Marais won that fight. Well, and Ken Flo, I think, put it well. From a business standpoint, you don't want to do that too often, but you can understand why that is a big fight for them. I'm not even considering flyweight for Henry Cejudo right now. I don't think he's ever going to try to make that weight again. I agree. Just a final thought for me on Aldo and Marais, Kenny. Um, I do believe that Jose slowed him down. And just generally speaking for me as a fan, I prefer when the advancing, pressuring fighter, I know octagon control is a tertiary scoring condition. It really isn't a consideration but when the inv- advancing pressuring fighter gets rewarded, I mean, for, for me, if I'm a judge, like, and maybe I, I shouldn't admit this, but generally speaking, you know, I there were a lot of visuals from Marais that I didn't like, you know, uh, just the the lateral movement that Ian's talking about. To me, it looked like a guy getting on his bike and running clock, and a guy preserving energy, and and Jose was in perpetual forward motion. So generally speaking, I like when the forward moving fighter gets rewarded. That's all. I don't know. So. Uh, all right, Jeff Neal, Ian Parker. We have not had a chance to talk about Jeff Hands of Steel, Neal. No longer slinging plates. You know, this guy is only a couple months removed from his final shift as a server. I'll never forget throwing my apron in the dumpster after my final shift as a server. Anybody who's waited tables for a long enough time knows that it's hell. And uh, always good to get that final shift out of the way. But how about Jeff Neal, Ian? Talk to me about this welterweight contender. Yeah, you know what? We discussed on the show that I think it really, this fight would depend upon what he learned from his last fight where he was getting caught a bunch of times. And as you saw, he was so composed. And when you get into a fight with Mike Perry, it's so easy to get emotionally involved and just yell at each other and have fun because that's what Mike Perry does to people. He brings the fun and brawling out of people. And the one thing that Kenny Eibold said was that if he doesn't do that and he stays technical and he just goes with his athletic ability and his beautiful striking skills, that he's going to win this fight. The question was, could he put someone like Mike Perry out, um, the answer, obviously, yes. The power is phenomenal. That leg kick, I mean, he was just so accurate with his punching. Super impressive. It's nice to see, um, you know, a new prospect do that to someone. I hate. I mean, I love Mike Perry. I hate to say that, but he just really showed that he's got it. This is He's the real deal. Looking forward to see who they give him next. Um, I hope Mike Perry doesn't get too down on himself for this. He's such a fun guy to watch. I was just so nervous about that nose. You know, I thought the first shot to that nose would have been it, but... He didn't even have to hit the nose. Uh, Neil's the real deal, man, without a question. I, I can't wait to see who they give him next. I'm I really hoping it's someone like Ponza Bibio, who's been out for a while. Um, but I think that would yeah. be a really fun fight to watch. So that, that's who I would have him fight next. 
Ken Flo, Fortis MMA, Safe Saud, 19 and 5 in 2019 in the octagon. It's like an 80% uh, winning percentage. Uh, and I think Jeff Neal's certainly the, the most intriguing prospect contender type under that roof. What do you got for me on Jeff Neal? Uh, yeah, listen, um, uh, Ian's on fire, by the way. I, I like what he has to say this morning. Um, I, I, I agree with him, man. I, I think Jeff Neal uh, looked excellent. I, I thought that he was aggressive without being careless. And to do that against someone like a Mike Perry uh, is not an easy thing to do. Um, it was an impressive finish. It was clean. He didn't really take a lot of damage in that process. Jeff Neal is definitely someone to watch. If you're able to stop a dangerous guy like a Mike Perry uh, in that fashion, it, it says a lot about your ability to go out there uh, and be clean with your performance um, and get out of there safely. That's a good striker, man. That's definitely a good striker. And Jeff Neal, um, you know, don't be surprised if you see him fight for the belt uh, next year in 2020. All right. I'm going to get a final thought on UFC 245 from you guys. I'm going to toss out a few names very quickly. Irene Aldana with a left hook. Kentlin Fieda was 10 and 0. Granted, she had an extended layoff, but, uh, Vieta was undefeated. She was the number two ranked bantamweight in the world. And Aldana was a monster finisher on the regional circuit. Nice to see her get that finish. Omari Akhmedov undefeated at middleweight in the UFC. He outpoints Ian Heinish. Chase Hooper with a nice win early on on the prelims. Brandon Moreno uh, looked like a polished Mexican boxer. The hand speed was off the charts. Huge win for him over Kai Kata France, who had won eight in a row. Uh, Ian, certainly if you want to use this 60 seconds to talk Usman Covington or Amanda Nunes or anything else, uh, Volko... The floor is yours, my man. What do you got? Well, one, I want to address the John Anik charity challenge. Uh, a lot of fun. I was in second place up until the Nunez fight. The guy in front of me was absolutely fucking flawless. So I had to take a shot, put it all on Jermaine Duran to me, knowing it probably oh, wasn't wow. the best way to go. But I had to. I love it. I so love it. A, he, dude, he was so. I literally put all my chips on every fight. And Bilal Muhammad called, writes to me and goes, Dude, how are you so far ahead of everyone else? I said, uh, I said, all in on every fight. You know, and the difference yeah. between me and first place was Jan getting the knockout. I had it in round two. He got it in three. The guy got so wow. far ahead. So that, that was why I fell off after that fight. Uh, I think the Usman-Covington fight, I think people need to pump the brakes on the Covington negativity. Dude, so tough. That jaw break was serious. And going into that fight, I had a 2-2 going into round five. Um, I, I did go big on Usman. I even threw a little, a little bit on a, the draw because it was plus 4,000, which oh, I guess I wasn't nice. too far off there. Um, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I just said that's nice. That's uh, that yeah, that, not out of the realm of possibility that that would have happened, you know? Yeah, I just find the judging a little weird. I didn't see where Covington would have been up 3-1, um, especially the one round that people might have been confused about was the round he got his jaw broken. Uh, but look, that guy still has plenty of good fights ahead of him. Usman, you know, definitely, I mean, listen, I, I had him winning that round five up until that situation. Who else did you uh, want me to talk about? Uh, Amanda Nunez is phenomenal. Oh, the want- thing that I was so impressed with her and I know this may be a little cliche, is I'm so, I'm so glad how smart she is in a fight. She didn't have to go in there and knock out Jermaine Durandamy to keep her status as the GOAT. She did what she should have done. Use, use your advantage. Don't make it. Look what happened when she stood up with Jermaine in round two and three. She took some shots. She didn't like it. Took the fight to the ground. And outside of, you know, maybe if GDR was training with Kenny Florian, she would have got that triangle choke. But other than that, Amanda Nunez, uh, her fight IQ just keeps going through the roof. I don't know who they really can give her next that's going to present much of a challenge outside of Valentina if she gets past Chukagian. But, you know, Nunez is the GOAT, man. She's so good, so talented. Good for her. 
Uh, th- there really is nobody. Uh, honestly, the, the honest answer, who's going to fight Nunez that, that people are going to be interested about? I don't think there's another interesting match for her at this point. She's cleaned out bo- like two divisions at this point. Um, I thought the only thing with Nunez's performance when she was do- utilizing her grounded pound, she needs to change the position of her head. She almost got – actually, she did get up kicked once she could have been knocked out several times by she was so aggressive with her ground and pound and leaning over the fighter exposing her chin she needs to fix that there were some scary moments as i was watching that fight yeah. but i agree with you ian as far as her approach overall tactics and strategy she did exactly what she should have did you have to respect a striker like a jermaine Durandamy. if that, that stayed standing for the majority of the fight gdr would have been the champ yeah, no, I agree, 100%. and it looks like Amanda Nunes wants to defend her featherweight title next, so we'll see who emerges as the uh, as the number one featherweight contender. You know, Felicia Spencer's lurking. She lost to Cyborg. Megan Anderson, uh, it's a short list of, of featherweights on the roster, never mind uh, bona fide contenders, but... Uh, God, so happy for Mandy and for Nina Ansaroff, right? I mean, you talk about two women who are just so full of class and grace and now money, you know, as they try to start a family. It's just really cool to see. All right, we got to rip through these South Korea picks here, guys. Um, We'll update the standings for you. You tied 4-4, dissenting picks on Nunes, Durandamy, and... Covington Usman so it is 151 to 149 team Florian has the lead and this late in the game with four picks to go the rest of the way um, there's some strategy involved so uh, I'm gonna have Ken Flo lead on two of these selections and uh, don't need to go too long on these we're gonna try to do these predictions in about 12 minutes we will start with a fight that happens early on in the night because but because there are Major flyweight divisional ramifications. We will make a pick today. Alessandre Pantoja, minus 220. Max Schnell, divisional dark horse for me is plus 180. Schnell has won four in a row. Ian, two straight by triangle choke. Pantoja saw Davison Figueroa snap his three-fight winning streak at UFC 240 this summer. Your thoughts on Pantoja and Schnell in the flyweight division? Yeah, you know, both guys, um, very impressive. Even Pantoja in his loss, that, you know, Figueroa is a tough fight for anyone. I mean, and you could argue that if Henry does drop that belt, he will fight Joey B for the title. And Schnell with a great triangle in that last fight was an underdog. And it's nice to see him kind of turn the career around. When he came into the UFC, he didn't really have a lot of success. He's kind of put it all together. You know, his weight looks great. Uh, However, in this fight, I just think Pantoja's striking is just way better than Matt Schnell. And also submission-wise, where Schnell's been great, I still think, think Pantoja's better. I think he's going to be faster. And I think he learned a lot from that last fight. He essentially fought one of the top guys in the division, without a doubt. And Schnell has not fought that level of competition just yet. So I'm going to go with Pantoja in this fight. I may have to change things up based on what Kenny picks, just because i got to make a move at some point. But this is not the fight to do it yet. So I'm going with Pantoja. Canflo, Pantoja, Schnell, who do you like? I'll take that. I'll take that, Ian. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go with Matt Schnell. I, I like the way Matt Schnell has uh, evolved in his career. Quack, quack. I thought I thought he was a guy that always had uh, a lot of potential, finally putting it together. Um, I don't see Alexandre Pantoja as this guy who is that much better than him on the feet, to be honest. I think that he's more aggressive and he goes for it, but he also becomes more vulnerable in that process. Um, I do think he has the edge on the ground uh, against Schnell. I think Schnell can handle himself there, Um, but... I don't see Pantoja's takedowns being as much of a threat to Schnell at this point. Um, I like Schnell for the upset here. All right. Very interesting stuff there to begin our final main event challenge of 2019. 
Duho Choi, modest 275 as he returns for the first time since that Jeremy Stevens fight. That was two years ago. January 2018, Duho Choi, modest 275 favorite here against Charles Air Jordan, who is plus 215. I had to listen to that audio file before the show, by the way, despite the limited prep time. Ken Flo's going to lead here. Duho Choi, Charles Air Jordan, who do you like? Air Jordan. I, I don't know a lot, whole lot about him, man. Um, you know, I, I've seen a couple, you know, videos of him. He, he definitely seems like he's aggressive. Um, you know, a guy who definitely goes forward. He's decent in the in the tie clinch as well. Um, I, I think that he primarily tries to box with his opponents, and I think that's where Duhu Choi um, kind of shines. Um, I also think that he has a tendency of, of making it a nasty fight, which I also think will help Duhu Choi. I think Choi is a little bit more precise, a little bit more accurate. Um, but uh, sometimes Duhu Choi just you know, throws caution to the wind and just starts trading. And, and, and when he does that, it's kind of anybody's fight. I am going to stay with the Korean fighter. Um, I do think Duhu Choi uh, pulls it off. But, um, you know, th- this should be a fun fight while it lasts. Ian Charles Jordan, plus 215, lost the UFC debut May 18th to Desmond Green, a much bigger man than Duho Choi. Your thoughts on uh, Jordan and, and Duho Choi early Saturday morning? Yeah, you know what? I like the Korean Superboy in this one, too. I just think that he, I hope he learned a lot. Fighting guys like Cub Swanson, Jeremy Stevens, you just can't, that, that value and that experience, it, it just, it's, it's amazing, you know, and hopefully yeah. he learned from that. To Kenny's point, you know, with kind of getting a little reckless with his striking, if he stayed composed, if he stays composed like he kind of did in the beginning of his UFC career, and not kind of give someone an opportunity to get in this, he should have this fight. I don't want to say easily because it's never that case, but I just don't see where Aaron Jordan kind of is able to get to him. I think fighting Green his last fight, Green does not have as many tools as Superboy, you know. So I think in this fight, um, Duchoy is just going to overwhelm him, and I'm going to go with him as well. All right, couple picks there on Duho Choi. That brings us to the co-main event. Ian Parker will lead here. We'll have Ken Flo lead the main event. Alexander Rakic, minus 145. Volkan Uzdemir, plus 115. Co-main will need the round and the method of victory. Rakic, the favorite here, Ian. He's won 12 in a row since dropping his pro debut. 4-0 in the UFC. Knocked out Jimmy Manawa in 42 seconds back on June 1st. Showcase spot for Rakic. What do you think he does with it? That kick to the face still hurts my face right now. Um, oh, my you know, God. After, I know, right? That thing was, that sound just makes me nauseous thinking about it. So, in this situation, you know, normally I would say, listen, the young prospect, he's on fire. But then I kind of look back at the Johnny Walker fight, and I'm a little nervous to take a guy who has not fought this high level of competition, someone in Vulcan Uzdemir, who's fought the best of the best, you know, within guys like D.C., Anthony Smith. You know, and I, I still think that Vulcan Uzdemir did beat Dominic Reyes, in that fight, not a knock on Dominic. I just thought the scores were off. And I don't think that Rakic presents, um, he presents danger, don't get me wrong. He's nasty on the feet, but he's fought way more complete guys that are higher ranked. And Rakic knocking out someone in Manawa that we both, Kenny and I both picked in a short period of time, that doesn't really, he still doesn't give me a whole lot of what he's about. How is he off his back? You know, not that Vulcan's the best wrestler ever, but, you know, that changes things. I think this is where I have to play the underdog here based on experience. Vulcan Uzdemir is a great striker in his own right. And he has fought the top level, and he's beaten some top guys. So I'm taking a shot here on the underdog. This is where, hopefully, with that first fight, Pantoja, I'm, I tie it. This is where I take my lead. Volkan Ozdemir with the upset as the, as the dog. Okay, and do you got a uh, method of victory for me? Uh, ooh, um, 
you know what? I, for the moment, I'm going to go decision. I'm hoping that he's able to grind out this guy and get him tired. So I'm going to go with Uzdemir by decision. All right, and just so you know, if Pantoja wins. You don't you don't get two points for that, so you don't you don't tie him. You'd still be one down. But we're going to update this on on Twitter uh, because I'm going to wake up and watch these fights. No, actually, I'm probably not going to do that. We'll see. ESPN Plus, if you want to do that, though, a little plug there. Uh, Ken Flo, Alexander Rockich, and Volkan Uzdemir both knocked out Jimmy Manoa in exactly 42 seconds. I thought that was kind of worth mentioning. Who do you like? Yes, I thought it was 47 seconds. For 42. A both. Wow. That's some mistake. That's cool. Um, yeah, so for Rockich, um, I think that he is a promising striker. I think he's a uh, you know, huge guy at six foot five, um, has an excellent striking background. Um, but I gotta agree with Ian here. I, I don't think that um, you know, we can go with a fighter at this point who hasn't faced the level of competition of a Vulcan Uzdemir. Um, I think Uzdemir is one of those guys that a lot of people underestimate. We forget that he has very heavy hands. Um, um, I, I agree with Ian as well uh, that he did beat Dominic Reyes. Um, I think he could surprise him with a takedown. I also think he could um, knock him out with his hands. I yeah. don't think this I don't think this thing goes uh, to decision. I think this is going to be a TKO uh, for Volkan Uzdemir in round 1. I think it gets uh, I think it gets crazy early on. Both these guys trying to outdo the other and I think Volkan catches him on the counter. And let's not forget Volkan Uzdemir uh, knocked out Alir Latifi with a performance of the night effort August 10th in Uruguay uh, that sent Latifi to the heavyweight division so uh, yeah. interesting fight I'll admit to being a little bit surprised that you both landed on the Uzdemir side but uh, that's why you yeah, guys John, the- I'm, t- I'm, t- I'm taking Rakic instead fuck Kenny <laughs> I'm just kidding ah, we'll, 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 figure, we'll see how it goes I mean you guys obviously can text me and uh, we will see who wins this main event challenge <laughs> and determine the punishment thereafter uh, Chan Sung Jung minus 185 in the main event here against Frankie Edgar who is plus 155 as many of you know Frankie Edgar stepping in here for Brian T. City Ortega. Chan Sung Jung can a huge win in Greenville, South Carolina, back in June as he got rid of Henato Moicano. Your thoughts on the Korean Zombie and Frankie Edgar here, and uh, how does the winner get it done? This is a tricky fight. Uh, this is certainly a tricky fight for um, the Korean Zombie. I, I think that. You know, he'll be okay as far as the ground game. I don't see him getting stopped by Frankie necessarily. I I think if Frankie wins, he wins by decision. Uh, But, uh, you know, when you fight someone like the Korean Zombie, you have to be ready to be able to take big shots. And at this point, um, you know, I I think... It's kind of a mistake for Frankie to take this fight at 145 pounds when he was getting ready for a, a fight at 35. Um, I, I think Korean Zombie can pose some problems on the ground. Um, I think he's going to hit harder on the feet. I, I, I do think that Frankie's going to be more elusive than most of the guys that Korean Zombie has faced. I don't think that Frankie Edgar's going to pull a Hinata Moicano and just walk forward and stay in the pocket. Um, but... Um, I, I do think that the Korean Zombie for 145 pounds is a very big dude, a very powerful dude, obviously, with his ability to knock people out. Um, geez, this is a tough one for me, man. I, I'll go with the Korean Zombie um, by TKO in, in round three. Round three TKO as as that is. for the Korean Zombie, Chan Sung Jung. Last fight for Frankie Edgar, and of course, the five-rounder with Max Holloway at UFC 240. Uh, Edgar 
in a lot of respects, wanted this fight because this was to headline the UFC's 25th anniversary show, November 2018. Edgar had to pull out, and of course, Yair Rodriguez stepped in and turned in that epic late knockout. Uh, your thoughts on the main event here in Korea, Ian, with a winner, if you don't mind. If there's anyone you put your faith in to bring it home, it's 100% Frankie Edgar in the situation. I totally agree with everything Kenny said. However, I think that Korean Zombies... Uh, style is going to play against him against someone in Frankie who could take him down, grind him out. He's fast on the feet. Frankie will not engage in the brawl. That's how a zombie gets you. He gets you to engage into his crazy-ass world, and he lands these shots, and he doesn't stop. But neither does Frankie Edgar. I think he's going to be the smarter fighter, the Energizer Bunny here. He's got the wrestling to bring this fight to the ground to avoid taking those shots. And to be honest, you're right. He's taken some shots, but how many times has Frankie Edgar really been finished in his career? I mean, outside of the Brian Ortega fight, is there really more than one other time that he's been finished, you know, and for someone of that length, um, I don't think, you know, the great Maynard fight took some damage, Max, yeah, but Frankie's not stupid. He sees something in this fight, or else why would he take it in the risk, the possible fight at 135, you know what I'm saying? So I just, I see, I think Frankie sees something there that I'm seeing too. I hope we're on the same wavelength here. So I'm going to go Frankie Edgar. I think he is going to grind out this decision. I think that wrestling, that pace is going to be insanity, even for someone named the zombie. Frank Yeager by decision, and it brings me home the championship for myself and John for 2019. Oh, I will be so happy if it comes down to that fight. All right, at Parker Cage Hero on social media. Ian, great job with the picks this year. And, and even though we won't have selections next week, obviously, we will bring you on uh, to either gloat or uh, or take your, take your licks, you know. So uh, great stuff from the duck. We'll talk to you next week, buddy. Thank you. Let's fly high, baby. Appreciate it, guys. Kenny, you're going down, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it is the duck, Ian Parker, with us every week here on the Anakin Florian Podcast. All right, today's pick to click is brought to you by OddShark.com. OddShark is your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in-depth analysis for each game. Their free statistics, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. Head over to OddShark and start playing like a shark today. OddShark.com. Don't forget that second S. And I probably called 150 UFC shows every single fight day. I am on OddShark.com. Perfect. Looking at something UFC related. So a uh, little nod there to the guys at OddShark.com. And now joining us, of course, sports analyst for OddShark.com on social media. You can find him at JTFOZ. Do we have Joe Osborne, TJ, or am I jumping the gun? All right, I'm jumping the gun a little I am here. He's What's there. Up, how about that? What's up, buddy? Hey, sorry we're a few minutes late. How are you today, man? I think this might be the, the best I've ever been in my entire life, talking to you right now. Oh, my <laughs> man. Well, I enjoyed chopping it up with you uh, over on Odd Shark at UFC 245, or for UFC 245 and for UFC 246. So we just filmed, Joe, yesterday in Vegas, uh, a year-end review for 2019, and we talked about the biggest mm-hmm. upsets of the year, and... I chose comma worthy against Devonte Smith. I don't know if he closed maybe plus six fifty or so, but it was a short notice fight for him, uh, and he was ta- he was facing uh, you know a former teammate. Um, what do you got for me on some of the bigger upsets we've had here in twenty nineteen? Yeah, that was actually the biggest one of the year. Worthy closed oh, at wow. plus five fifteen, uh, whereas Devonte Smith finished it or closed at minus eight ten. That's a monster favorite, so obviously wow. worthy uh, a big win there at UFC 241. And if you look at underdogs versus favorites for the entire year, we saw underdogs, obviously we still have one more card to go, but so far underdogs have won 
around 36% of fights. That's up slightly from 34 and a half in 2018. Now, to put that into perspective, that's a higher underdog win percentage than the last full season of both the NBA and NFL. The NBA closed at 31%, and NFL 33.6% of underdogs won outright last year. Uh, it still puts it below the MLB and the NHL, which were both right around 40%, though. Wow. Fascinating stuff. Joe, uh, you know, what was also fascinating was this weekend, some fantastic fights. Well, what were your betting takeaways from uh, UFC 245? Uh, my betting takeaways, personally, were that uh, I did quite horribly because I, I totally <laughs> uh, underestimated uh, Alexander Volkanovsky. And I was also one of the guys in the Colby Covington camp coming into that one. But uh, some pretty uh, interesting numbers came out of this one. So the smart bet to make for Usman Covington would have been for the fight not to go to decision. You could have got that at plus 150. Now, if you were crazy enough to take Usman to win in the fifth round, you would have got that bet at 24 to 1. Now, I don't know oh too many God. people. It, it seems like a lucky bet to make, but that's pretty crazy. 24 to 1 for Usman to win and specifically the fifth round, and you could have got a little bit better value on Usman to win inside the distance at minus 135. Uh, another big one uh, that hit Amanda Nunes. Hard to make money on her unless you were parlaying or something of that nature. You could, could have yeah. got her to win by decision at plus 360. Uh, so that's a pretty wow. good payout right there, and that kind of reminds me of John Jones's past few fights going to decision as well. He would have been a pretty big underdog, hard to bet, or a pretty big favorite, hard to bet just on his own. But uh, a nice plus money payout for him to go to decision in his past few fights. And uh, Volkanovski to win by decision, plus 295. Uh, so that was probably the upset of the card, I thought. And uh, great performance by him. Great game plan against Max. Hey, you're blowing my mind with that Kamara Usman 24-1 to to win in round <laughs> five. And it's interesting you talk right? about... You talk about that fight not going the distance at plus 150. Uh, my twin brother actually bet under four and a half rounds, and it went just over uh, four and a wow. half rounds, even though it got the finish. That's so he rough. really got burned. Wasn't too happy with that. Um, in terms of your Colby Covington play, what was your mentality going into that fifth round? I mean, you certainly felt like that was a live ticket at that point, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. I thought he was in a little bit of trouble because obviously you heard as part right, of the correct. broadcast that he said he, he broke his jaw, and it looked pretty clear that uh, he didn't really look himself going into that one. So I was kind of hoping that he might uh, rely on his wrestling a little bit, something that we hadn't seen uh, or we didn't even end up seeing throughout the fight. So I thought that uh, a few of the rounds were very close. I thought that he might have been leading, but ultimately I thought whoever won that round was going to win the fight. And obviously uh, Usman uh, came out with the big finish. And, uh, you know, he's going to be tough to beat. What an absolute monster. Oh, what a stud. All right, before we let you fly, you've been very good to our listeners. I think... It's 83%, 5-1 for you in terms of your picks on this show. I can't remember you losing one, but my notes said 5-1. Um, <laughs> Monday Night Football tonight, Indianapolis Colts taking on Daniel Cormier's New Orleans Saints. Colts are catching 9.5, I think, at a lot of spots. I like Indianapolis, but I'm smart enough and sharp enough to recognize that I need to wait for Joe's selection before I plop my money down. You know, I don't want to lay those points with the Colts, but if you tell me to do so, I will, Joe. Where are we going tonight? Uh, I'm actually not going to tell you to, uh, what to do on the uh, the side. I like the total. I like okay. over 47 and a half points here. So the Saints offense has been absolutely on fire, averaging 35 points over their last four games. And if you look 
at games specifically that Drew Brees has both started and finished. They've scored more than 30 points in five of seven of those games, and this matches up perfectly with the Colts' defense. They look like they're falling apart a little bit. They've been getting absolutely lit up, allowing an average of 300 passing yards per game over their last three. On the road, they rank 27th in passing yards allowed. Now, takes two to tango on a totals bet, right? So I think the Colts are going to be able to move the ball pretty easily, too. Uh, this Saints secondary is severely beat up. Von Bell and Patrick Robinson will both be out for the game. I think the Colts are going to be playing catch-up for most of the game, and I think they'll be able to pick up some big chunks of yardage there. And this Saints defense hasn't been very good out of the break. They've allowed 300 yards yeah. or more passing in three of their last four. Um, and Jacoby Brissett, uh, if you take a look at his splits outdoor games compared to indoor, he plays much better indoors, which isn't that big of a shock. So, yeah, I think we can see this one get up to 50 points, if not more. All right, I will be on that over 47.5 tonight, and you should be on oddshark.com if you want daily content from Joe Osborne, at JTFOZ on Twitter. Thank you, my man. Always a pleasure. Happy New Year to you, and uh, we will reconvene before Conor McGregor and uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone there early January, buddy. Thank you. All right, I'm looking forward to it. Good luck to you, and good luck to all the listeners. Thank you, my man. There he is, Joe Osborne, sports analyst for oddshark.com. And with that, thanks to everybody out there for listening, for all the support all week long, not just for UFC 245, but for John Anik's MMA Charity Challenge. Love seeing my guy Ken Flo in there, too. Don't forget the new Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel is live as well. May RockyBJJ.com if you want to see Ken Flo in Los Angeles. With that for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. We'll talk to you in less than a week, TJ. Thank you, my man. Until then, happy Hanukkah. If that applies, have a great week. I got to Google the blessing over the candles before I sing it to my children. I mean, oh, how the Unbelievable. fallen. Have a great week, everybody. You'll live. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.